God. Amen. Well, church, take your Bibles and please turn with me to Ephesians. We're in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, and we're in the midst of our beloved identity series, which is going through the book of Ephesians. And we've been seeing every single week, we're no longer slaves to fear. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have a new identity, a beloved identity where God has called us his own. And we are sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. We have a living hope, and that is what defines us. If you are in Christ, you have a beloved identity. You are filled with the hope. You're filled with eternal riches and even a power that is not of this world. So no matter how you may feel from day to day, hour to hour, that is who you are in Jesus Christ. Today, in Ephesians 2, Paul is going to be making a transitional pivot, okay? He is going from now who you are in Christ, individually, personally, who you are in Christ, to who we are in Christ, who God has made us to be as a body, a group of individuals coming together as one. We're also going to see, and I want you to look for these things. We're going to get to the text in a minute, but there's a couple new things happening. First of all, we're going to see the first direct imperative command in the, in the, whole, in the whole book. Okay, we've covered 33 verses up to this point, and we're going to actually see the first direct imperative of this is what you need to do. He's been talking a lot about who we are in Christ, a lot about our identity, a lot about what he's praying for them. Now he's going to give them a command. And then the other interesting thing that Paul is going to do is he is going to bring in this community piece. This piece is coming into play. This is a vital progression for us to see and to understand because we're not going to realize the fullness of our identity in Christ until we realize it's not just individual reconciliation with God. It's also reconciliation with people who are not like us, people who are far different than us. And this is very practical because we live in an individualistic world. Our culture is so about that solo earbud life of I'm doing my thing and don't get in my way. That's just the world we live in. But we're going to see that that limits you to the fullness of who you are with your beloved identity. I know there's probably people in here that are surrounded all the time, almost too much with people around you, right? Um, and if that's not the case, if you don't have a job like that or you're not in a school like that or something, you probably are inundated no matter what by pictures uh, of just your friends. But the truth of the matter is we all know this deep down Looking at your friend's photo, their, their gluten-free bagel for after yoga class, is not the same connection and intimacy to really get to know them as having a conversation. And looking at a picture of your friend's cat on Instagram, I mean, that doesn't replace having an actual conversation with someone. That's a, I'm not saying you shouldn't post those pictures. I'm just saying that's not enough. That's not enough for what, the way we were created to be, the way we were wired to be. And it's kind of ironic that our church has a podcast. I was like, I was doing this. I was like, what more individualistic thing could you do as a church to plug your earbuds in and have a podcast to take the place of a midweek Bible study? 
Um, I'm joking about that, but as I was studying for that podcast, we actually just had an episode on friendship, and it, and it got me into some statistics. And 56% of people, this survey was done in 2018, 56% of people feel that those around them aren't necessarily with them. Do you follow that? That's, that's pretty sobering. Um, but, I mean, it makes sense. Everybody has their earbuds in, right? Everybody's doing their thing. And this is even, even more sobering. 40% of people feel that their relationships aren't meaningful. 40% feel the relationships they have at work, at school, at the gym, all these relationships, they aren't really meaningful. They're just kind of there. They're just there for fun. So we have an individualistic culture. We have a problem in our society. And we can't let that solo life invade and impact our Christian culture in the culture that we have here as a church. Embedded into our culture is the root of loneliness, confusion, and even spiritual fatigue. And I was joking about the podcast really being such an individualistic thing because, yes, it is built and customized for your busy life, but at the same time, it's there for you to share with other people. It's there for you to, have a, to start a conversation, to have a conversation with someone. So we don't have to turn those things into individual things. We can use them for the greater good. And this is what we're going to see today. When you understand that we is greater than me, the sky is the limit. We're seeing that in this text. That's what I want you to look for. Everyone has that deep desire to be a part of a team. We crave intimacy to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. That's what we have in Christ. So let's look at this right here. In the text, Ephesians chapter 2, and let's begin in verse 11. This is where we're going to pick it up, right here in verse 11. We're going to see that we are made for more. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Did you catch the first imperative? Did you guys see that? 
The very first command that we have in Ephesians, and as a matter of fact, it's the only command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Chapter 4 and on, we're going to get a lot more. But the whole Beloved Identity series, this whole series has one command for you. It has a lot of your identity in it, and it says one command. Remember that you were once far off. So that's going to be our first point. Remember how far off you were from God. This is, this is necessary to grow in our relationship with Jesus, to fully embrace our identity in Christ, we have to understand how great God is. And you understand how great God is when you remember how far off you were. When you realize where you came from. You were separated. You were alienated from God. You had no hope but God. Remember? But God. Look at verse 13 again. I have it up here on the screen as well. Verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Have you ever just been totally far off from where you needed to be? We're not talking about spiritually right now for a second. We're talking about physically. I am the last vestiges of a millennial. I was like just barely made the cutoff. I was born in 1984. So I still remember a time when we didn't have GPSs on our phones and we had to actually go out there and, and like read street signs. And I did this crazy thing, believe it or not, back in college. I was going to go from Greenville to Brevard to go on a hike. And I was driving to Brevard. And I did something that some of you may have never heard of, but some of you are going to remember this. It's called MapQuest. Does anybody remember MapQuest? <laughs> yeah. You go, you, you think you're so high tech and savvy. You go print off the directions. You print them out. You have this like three papers, full size. Eight and a half by 11s, like on your passenger seat, and you're trying to follow directions. It's not as easy as it sounds, though, when it's dark and it's night and you're in crazy areas that you've never been, like the upstate, how roads just twist and turn everywhere. So, like, I'm going to Brevard, and somewhere along the way, I made a very directionally challenged turn, did not read my paper instructions correctly. And I mean, for those of us who are laughing about MapQuest, some of us know Rand McNally. And this is just a nod to all the seasoned veterans out here, the Rand McNally people. I really respect you. But I messed up my MapQuest directions, and I ended up in Cowpens, South Carolina. So I know, you're, you're probably judging right now. It was a really bad turn. I was just enjoying my ride, though. I, I mean, I had the windows rolled down. I had my music blaring. I was enjoying this beautiful God's creation out there. I was, I was loving my, my merry way, my drive through the world. That's what so many people are like, spiritually speaking, who don't know Christ. They're enjoying the world. They're enjoying creation. They're listening to their music. They don't realize that they're lost. And as long as you have your hands on the steering wheel going the wrong direction apart from Christ, you're drifting further and further away. So you get to Cowpens, and you've like added two hours to your trip to Brevard. But that's the way people are spiritually. They are far off. That's the way all of us who are in Christ were once far off until God came down and rescued us. This is the good news of the gospel. And this is what we have to remember. We were far from God because of our sin, and he sent Jesus by the blood of the cross to redeem us. You see the Ten Commandments in the Bible. We've all heard of the Ten Commandments. They're there to show us that we're sinners. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And they go, all right, I 
I don't worship other gods. Well, stop and think, have you ever put someone else over God in your life, which is effectively making that person, it could be a boyfriend, it could be a spouse, it could be a job, a career, anything that you put over God, you're making a God of your heart. So if you say, I've never done that, be careful, because you're probably lying, and you're probably breaking another commandment. I mean, we break all the commandments all the time, and God gave them to us to show us that we fall short of the glory of God. We were far off, but God didn't give up on us. He gave us a beloved identity. That's what we have in Christ. So we're not just far off from God. Here's the other angle that Paul's talking about in this chapter. We're also far off from each other. We have different backgrounds, different cultures, people from all walks of life. This is one of the beautiful things about the church. People who think differently are coming together under the name of Jesus Christ. And it sounds easy on paper. Yay, we're one in Christ. All right. But practically speaking, in real life, it's not as easy as it sounds. And it can be messy because we're all sinners. We're all former sinners. Some of us are still sinners. We're all dealing with the effects of sin. And we're trying to reconcile with people who are definitely still living in their sin far, far, far from God. We have all those people under one roof. It gets difficult sometimes. So there's a lot here to, uh, to dive into. There's a lot here to process. Now, I know you're probably wondering, too, at the same time, well, David, um, are you ever going to talk about this whole circumcision thing? For those of you who are new to DOXA, you maybe are wondering if I'm going to skip over that. Those of you who are here, you know we don't skip over things <laughs> just because it would be convenient. So if you don't know what that is, kids, ask your parents in five years. Um, no, but really, why is this even here? We're to, I mean, Paul is talking to the Ephesians. They're as Hellenistic as it gets. Why is he talking about circumcision, which is this covenantal mark from the Jews in the Old Testament? So what does that have to do with the Ephesians at all? This is where the hostility comes in, okay? And we need to talk about this for a minute because in the Bible, there's two general, super broad categories of people. There's the Jews... God's chosen people, and we see them throughout the Old Testament. These are the people that he's primarily working with. And everyone else, and that is a Gentile. Now, the Jews were chosen by God by grace. They were a weak, nomadic people. And God chose Abraham, and he said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And why did he choose Abraham and say, you are going to be my people? The whole point was so that this weak, group of people who didn't have much going for them would rise up, would show the glory of God, and the nations would look at them and marvel. Whoa, who is this God? This must be the true God. This is the real God. There's something here. This doesn't make sense to me. That was the whole purpose of God calling out the Jews. And the Jews had this. They were near. They had the covenants. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They had all these promises, land promises. They had all these things to be a bright light to the nations. Does this sound familiar to you at all? But instead of humbly accepting that calling and embracing that identity, what did the Jews do? They got puffed up. They got really cocky. I am of the circumcision. (laughs) I have it all going for me. We have all these promises. We have it. It's us. And they actually looked down on the Gentiles. 
So they, they, instead of actually being a bright light, a shining testimony, they are actually doing the opposite of what they were supposed to do, and they lorded over the Gentiles, they judged the Gentiles, and even went as far as having racial hostility towards the Gentiles. Not good, not good at all. Um, you can see God gave the Jews chance after chance after chance. He's like, hey, remember who you are. Be humble. Be a witness. Be, be a testimony for me. Um, Jer Jeremiah 29 shows us an example of this. This is just one of the many examples in the New Testament. If you could put up Jeremiah 29 there for me, Dan, that'd be perfect. But Jeremiah 29 is a passage. Are you seeing that, Jeremiah 29, back there? You're, I guess they Next slide. Next slide. Thanks. There it is. It's a big one. I didn't memorize this. <laughs> uh, but this is what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see how the Jews were supposed to go into the areas that they, where they were scattered. They were supposed to show the love of God and be a bright light to the Gentiles. That's what they were supposed to do, but they failed. Now, before we point that finger, be like, bunch of Jews, you scrubs, what was your problem? You totally blew your calling. Like, before we take that posture, let's remember that we were once far off. And remember that we can actually end up doing the same thing if we're not careful. Okay? Separated from the commonwealth of Israel, that was the Ephesians. We can't just point our finger at God's original chosen people when it's so easy to sometimes become the thing that you hate. The church, the people of God in this new age, how are you doing at connecting with people who are different than you? How are you doing in showing the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ? How do you interact with them? Do you take this posture of, I got it figured out, I'm good, you're wrong, you're bad, get away from me? Does that sound, the, like, is, isn't that eerily familiar to what happened with the Jews? How do the lost people perceive you? Do you show them that their Savior cares for them? Because that's our mission. Do they see you as unapproachable about their struggles? And then are you unified with other believers? Other Christians who also know Jesus Christ, are there preferential things that are getting in the way there? We saw what happened with the Jews when preferences became king, what that led them to. It led to, led to hostility. It led to a dividing wall. We all know unlovely people. And if it hasn't happened for you already, there's going to come a time when an unlovely person walks in these doors of this church, and you know how much work they're going to be. I had, uh, I had a coach before we came here and moved here to Spartanburg. I had a church planning coach. This is when we thought we were going to move west, and he was a church planner in California. Great guy, um, good friend of mine. And he planted his church in California, that church, six years before us. So they're just like just a little bit ahead of us in the game. Um, he had 
a person walk into his church, like the first or second, I think it was the end of the first, second year. He was, his parents were divorced when he was a little kid. And the woman that his dad left his mom for came into that church. She sat down, and he saw her. He knew exactly who she was. Can you only imagine the emotions and the feelings that he had as he saw in his mind, you know, his little mind, the woman who broke up my family? He saw her sit down in that church. He preached the gospel. The people in that church loved her. And after a few weeks, she accepted Christ as her Savior. That's what it's all about. Hostility turning into peace. And we as the people of God have to see this. We have been redeemed. We have been called home to a relationship with God. And now we're ambassadors of Christ. We're agents of reconciliation. We have to be radical unifiers. That's who we are as part of our beloved identity. It's so much easier, though, to just separate, right? Get away from me. I don't like what's going on here. I mean, this is so true with parenting. Beckham and Paxton are going at it. Paxton, go jump on the trampoline. Beckham, go upstairs and play with your Legos right now. I'm sick of this. Like, it's just, it's so much easier. You think it's easier to handle things that way. It's a lot harder to say, hey, let's come together. Why did you say that? Why did you do that? Do you think that was caring? Do you think that was what Jesus would have done? That's a lot harder to have those kind of conversations when you're parenting. It's also hard to do those kind of things when you're adulting and when you're in the church and you're dealing with other adults. But it's the same thing that we have to do. Those of us who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's hard work, but it's, 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 it's our calling. It doesn't just end with us personally. This is also true for those around us. So let's press further into this second angle, and this is where point two comes in. Don't stop at your individual reconciliation. Don't just stop there. This is verses 14 through 18. Look again at verses 14 through 18, because there's a lot of moving pieces. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Do you understand who... Those who were far off and those who were near are now. Have we made that clear enough? Those who were near were the Jews. Those who were far off were the Ephesians, the Gentiles. And God has brought them together. Verse 14 says this dividing wall of hostility. Okay, what is that talking about? And there's a lot of commentary action on this one, right? There's all kinds of like debates on, on the upper echelon, big thinker heads of theology. What exactly is this talking about? Well, this is really easy. Let's not overcomplicate this. Verse 15, if you look at that right there in your Bible, verse 15, it's referencing the law of Moses and the ordinances. This is going back to the Jews were given the law to follow and obey these commands. These were never meant for the Jews to perfectly follow them 
and to have the nice shiny badge that says, I'm a religious person now, and I'm perfect, and I, I accomplished it. The law was to show the Jews that they were sinners. It was also to point ahead to the Messiah, to the ultimate sacrifice. When they did all those animal sacrifices, it was to point ahead to Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. That's when, when Jesus came, he ended all of that. Jesus broke down the wall. He abolished it. He broke down the hostility. He ended this separation and this divide. And Jesus came, died for us all, and Jesus brought peace. That's what he did. And we're the church. We're Gentiles. We're now one. We're grafted in. It all connects. Jesus did that. He's broken down the wall. Look at the second half of verse 15 one more time. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. The Jews had hostility towards the Gentiles. I mean, when they called them the uncircumcision, that was actually a derogatory term. They were literally calling them the foreskins. I mean, who does that? Who, who does something like that? It's the same as, like, I mean, mine's bigger than yours. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Think about who you are and where you came from. Remember that you were once far off. We can't do that as a church. We can never take that kind of a posture. And the Gentiles at the same time, I mean, how do they respond to that? I mean, how would, how would anybody respond? If you're getting looked down upon, called derogatory names, you're cast out, we're judging you. Gentiles are like, no thanks. You know what? I don't really want to be circumcised. You can have it your way. I'll be going my way. Thank you very much. I don't need that. Not now, anyway. Ship has sailed. That's, that's the hostility. That's what is going on here. But Jesus Christ makes a way. He makes two into one. One new person. We can't stop at our individual reconciliation. We have to go to the next step, and we have to reconcile with others those near and those far. Do you see this? Do you really see this? We have to see it to believe it. We have to start living this out as a church. Jesus didn't just reconcile us to God. Jesus reconciles us to each other. And that means the church should be the most diverse place in our city. Racially, socioeconomic backgrounds, you name it, we should be coming together for Jesus. And that's what makes us stand out. That's, what the whole, that's the whole purpose. God is bringing us together, making us one, making us a new people that look different, that have the same mission, the same calling. And the world looks at that and they marvel and they wonder, whoa, what's going on over there at Doxa Church? People who were poor, people who were rich, people who were young, people who were old, that's a big one. We, I love the fact that we have some seasoned saints in our church. I wish we had more, but you know what? It's not even easy to get those people because sometimes we've heard them say, oh, just all young people. I can't do this. Too many young people. Well, we have a couple older people, and if you would stay, we'd have a few more. <laughs> it's the same way. I mean, you'd go down the list. Oh, there's, there's, there's all old people. I don't have anybody my age. Well, you know what? We're all one in Christ. That shouldn't be something that divides us. That shouldn't be an issue. If you have a relationship with God, but if you have a strained relationship with someone else, 
there's also a problem. That's, that's, a big, that's a big problem. You can't have the right relationship with God and have ill will on your end towards someone else. Jesus killed the hostility, and that means part of our beloved identity is we are unifiers. We don't stop at our individual reconciliation. We go towards reconciliation with everyone. So let's take a quick commercial break from Ephesians for a second, and let's pause and go to what holds us back from unity. I want to really give you five quick things, and this could probably be its own standalone sermon, but as we said, it's not always easy to walk in unity, in community with each other. It can, it can get tough sometimes. So here's just five quick biblical points of ways that we can actually live this out in the day-to-day -day life, okay? And I made a crazy act acronym here. If you don't like it, I did this on myself in like an hour, so you could probably make it better. This isn't from anyone else. There's probably some holes in this. But this is what we got. Unafraid to say difficult things in love. If you're really going to have unity in community and you're going to be there for each other, that means you can't afraid to say, you know what, this really, really bothers me. And I'm going to come with an attitude of, and a posture of grace. But I really feel like the loving thing to do would be to, to just share my, my, my opinion here. I'm going to share my perspective. And you know what, you don't have to, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you my way to conform you into my image. I'm just, hey, this is something I see in scripture Maybe you could think about this. Don't, don't be afraid to do that because that's real life. That's what Christians should be doing with each other. And not enough of that probably happens because it's actually hard to do. But that's part of it. Another one here is nobly limiting your freedoms out of love for others. We were in that called out series in 1 Corinthians a few months back and we saw this. I mean, what's the principle there that you see in 1 Corinthians? It's that even if you have something that is your Christian liberty, your right to do, there's nothing wrong with it. It's not a sin at all. But if it's causing another Christian to sin and to stumble, Paul says, hey, even though you have freedom to do it, you should actually limit that liberty. And in this case, with this person, don't have that drink. Don't go to that place. Don't do this. Limiting your freedom in Christ out of love for someone else. That's how we live in community with one another. That's a, big, that's a big one. Another one here, investing your time into other people. Okay? You're not going to be able to have conversations with people if you don't let them know that you love them and care for them. That's, I mean, that's just a, so there's no particular order here. I mean, you could see the order I did. I did it with unity. But all these, all these are working together. They're all going hand in hand. They all intertwine. Uh, thoughtfully listening and weighing with Scripture. So what this means is I have the reference here to the Bereans. This is in Acts, the church in Berea. They heard Paul preach, and they went to scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So they didn't just, like, listen to his opinion. I mean, he was an apostle. He, was, he had more than an opinion. But you know what? They did the right thing, and the Bible can, uh, commends them for going to the scripture and saying, hey, I'm going to do the due diligence. I'm going to see, hey, this person said that. David said this from the pulpit. Was he right? Does it say this in the Bible? So if somebody shares something with you, you don't have to take it at face value. Go to the Word. Look at the Bible. See what that says. And the last one is be yourself. You can't have unity and community if you're not opening yourself up and being who you are. You can't be afraid to let people know this is who I am. Now, we don't come into church just to stay the same. No one does. I mean, 
we are saved in God from day one, the moment we are saved, we should be changing into the image of Jesus Christ, right? That's called sanctification. So no one just, we don't just get saved to stay the same. We should be changing, but we shouldn't hold back. We shouldn't pretend and hide things from people because we're worried they might judge us. No, let's just be open, be honest, be transparent, be authentic people. All right, was that enough for that commercial? Ready to go back to Ephesians? But I just want, I wanted to get some practicalness in this to how we can live in unity together as a community of Christ. Those of us who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus' blood has the power to unite everything. It has the power to save us from sin. It has the power to bring us together if we focus on him and put him above our preferences and our desires. Make him the number one thing. This has the power to unite Gamecocks and Tigers fans. This has the power to unite people who believe in universal health care and believe that health care should be in the hands of individual companies and corporations. This brings the left and the right together. This brings people who would never talk to each other in normal circumstances. It brings them together. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ makes us one. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's not going to be messy sometimes. It means that we have to strive for that. and We have to work towards that. Our world, as we know, is hostile. It is divided. I mean, I can't, I've never really lived in a more of a hostile, divided time. You go on, sh on Twitter, people are shaming each other. They're shouting at each other. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of division out there. What if the church is the answer and the hope, and we bring in the unity that they don't have? What if they see peace with us that they don't see anywhere else? That's the gospel. The secret to unity is right there. It's love, it's grace, and it's forgiveness. All the things we see on the cross that we see that Jesus gave towards us. Let's finish this chapter, though, because there's one more point to elaborate on. And all these points are so connected. But point three, join together and grow as one. This is 19 through 22. We're going to elaborate just a little bit more on this side of it all. What's greater than what divides us? One more time, church. What's greater than what divides us? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ unites us. John 15 Jesus says, this is how people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's that simple. Like, we could even agree to disagree sometimes, and we still love each other. That will show. People will see that. There's no limit to what God will do when we love one another. Your beloved identity is multifaceted, and it's complicated. God has brought me near to himself, and God has brought us near to each other. Verse 18, look at verse 18 there. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have the same dad. We have the same father, and we have the same, same citizenship. Our citizenship is now in heaven. We don't just have common interests. 
we have a common pursuit. And that's the difference. In the world, in our relationships, I've had all kinds of unity. I've had all kinds of like community with different people. A little video game suspect uh, area over here, a, uh, a basketball subset over here. I was once at a Green Bay Packer Atlanta Falcon football game. Some of you know I'm a big Packers fan. And uh, I went to this game. This was the year the Packers actually won the Super Bowl. And Aaron Rodgers just torched the Falcons. I'll be careful what I say because we may have some Falcons fans in here. They're still a little sore about that. But I, was, I actually went to this game with my buddy who was a Falcons fan. But we, we drove together, but we didn't sit together. Because the Packers, I didn't even know if they were going to make that game. So I bought my ticket after he bought his ticket. So we get to the stadium. I go in, I sit down, I am by myself with my Packers hat, surrounded by Falcons fans. And uh, I'm cheering, Packers are scoring touchdowns, yeah! There was two guys about six rows in front of me who also had green and gold on. I had never met these guys, never talked to these guys, but let me tell you, we had some kinmanship right there in that game. We were like air high-fiving each other, like, yeah! It's like, we were so, we loved it. But after the game, I never saw them again, never talked to them. There was a common interest. We had a little, a little short-term community there. It was so fun. We were quiet in the whole second half because we didn't want to rub it in and get my, and I didn't want to get killed. I wanted to make it out of Atlanta alive, so I did calm down over time. But you know what? That's as far as that relationship went. Pretty shallow. It was fun while it lasted. That's the way community for so many people is in the world. They're starving for it. They're hungry for it. They got a common interest. That's going to go to a certain extent. That's going to take you a certain distance. But when you have a common pursuit in Jesus Christ, and you say, hey, you know what? We were both far off. God brought us to himself. He gave us a beloved identity. We're now one. We both have the mission and the, and the job of reconciling other people to God by sharing the love of Jesus Christ to this world, and we can do it together. We look different, but we have the same mission. That's a common pursuit, and that makes so much stronger of a community and a fellowship. And it's the difference between playing in a rec league and playing professionally. In a rec league, you show up, and it's good while it lasts, and we're going to do our best, and I'm going to try to get mine in, and Whatever. If you're doing it professionally, there's dedication. There's a lot more on, at stake. There's a lot more on the line, right? That's our calling in Jesus Christ. Verse 20, look at that. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This is a reference to the word of God. And Paul is giving us this analogy of our unity being like a new building. Isn't that awesome that the day we open our new building, we have this in the text? Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. It all starts with him. Verse 21, this living, breathing structure growing together into a holy temple. I love how, how deep the Bible is. This is so cool if you think about it. I mean, the Bible, it all connects so well. We already talked about the Old Testament and the temple, which the temple was the physical building where God would manifest his presence. You go to the temple to see God, to worship God, and that's where God lived, in the temple in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, in the church age, Paul is saying, you know what? I have broken down that dividing wall of hostility. There's no more like barrier 
that separates the court of the Gentiles in the, in the temple from the Holy of Holies and all these more reverent places. That's gone, remember? And now you, individually, personally, in your body, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So you had this picture, in the, in the Old Testament, you had this picture of the temple where God lived and where God reigned and resided. People had to go to that. You had to make sacrifices there. Now we, corporately, as one body, are a representation of a living temple. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul closes by giving us an analogy, the church an analogy of a body. And in chapter 2, he closes by giving our church an analogy of a living, breathing temple of God. That's you. That's your beloved identity. Ephesians 2.22. I got a slide for this one. Ephesians 2.22, and the worship team can come on up. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So good. That's us. That's us coming together as one in Christ. Our beloved identity isn't just a personal thing. It's also a community thing. The only thing left for us is to reach out to those who are far off. That's our calling. That's what we got to do. We are former sinners. We're still dealing with the effects of our own sin. It doesn't just go away overnight. There's other people who are living and just engulfed and entrapped and enslaved in sin who are also going to come into contact with us. The real church has to do this messy, hard work of loving people who are not like us, of fighting and striving for unity. Your beloved identity is also our beloved identity. And you were never meant to live your faith alone. Faith in Jesus Christ is a community project. It really is. And when you understand that, no one is too far gone. All those ugly things that we saw with the Jews in the Old Testament, we can't repeat that history. We can't repeat that. We, we have to take the posture that, you know what? I'm going to love this person. I'm going to show grace to this person even if they disrespected me. This person should have said something totally different. And instead they did something totally wrong. And they're supposed to be a Christian. You know what? I'm going to be patient. I'm going to let love cover a multitude of sins. I'm also going to show them grace. I'm going to pray for them. And I'm not going to give up on them. That's the church. And we can't take this posture that the world, oh, I can't believe what they're doing. Of course you can believe what they're doing. I mean, look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Remember? That's who they are. That's what they do. They're enemies of God. We have to be a church that is never outraged at sinners being sinners. We have to be a church that doesn't hate sinners. Hate your own sin and love sinners. That's what we're called to do. Hate your own sin. We can't even run away and isolate ourselves. As, as easy as that sounds sometimes, that's not what we're called to do. We also can't pendulum swing 
we can't forfeit God's word. How do we do that? It's when you say, well, you know what? I need to customize. Maybe God's word doesn't say this. Maybe it doesn't say exactly that. And we can't, like, make it more palatable to somebody who doesn't believe. That's not going to change our times. That's not going to change the individual. They will only change when we faithfully stand on God's word. This is true, and I love you, and this is what God's word says. That's how we're going to change people. We will change our time with what's in the timeless word of God that never changes. And that's the only way. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. At the cross, Christ reconciled us back to God. That's what he did on the cross. And he reconciled us to one another. He also did that on the cross. He reconciled us to one another to build a new community that reaches those. Let's stand.